welcome to Live Fix Radio. This is Chris. This is Colleen. And we'd like to welcome you to another show here. We are uh, nearing the end of... Show packed with tons and tons of information. Exciting information, because we're nearing the end of summer, you know, and it has been, uh, I think it's been one rocking summer. I think... Uh, one hot summer here in Chicago. It has. It, it's, it's been hot everywhere. But anyways, you know, that has... Hot weather, no weather, whatever, you know, Alaska... You know, Hawaii, wherever you're at, it has not stopped. Hot weather, whatever it is, has not stopped live music fans from going to shows. So it has been a one-packed summer. Uh, we've been to Pitchfork. Uh, we've seen what's been going on at Lollapalooza. Um, and on this particular show, we have the honor of sharing a, a chat with uh, Steve Weinberger. Of uh, He's the author of No Air Guitar Allowed. So we've interviewed him before, uh, but not on the podcast. So finally caught up with him and uh, his book, has uh, been kind of going through a transformation. So we're going to be talking about him and his book, which is basically all about concert characters. So Steve has been to over a 1,000 shows since 1977. Uh, you'll hear him talk about his first show in 1977, which was kind of an interesting, really big, pivotal uh, p- you know, for, for him, You know, kind of started it all. So for, from, from that point on, he was hooked on live music, and he got to kind of observing a lot of what we do too is observing concert characters, right? I mean, you you point out a lot of stuff that I, that I don't notice about human behavior, and Steve has kind of taken that a step further. And you wrote a whole book about concert characters, you know, different things that happen, you know, standing in front of the tall guy, you know, the uh, all the you know the guy the who, cutters, you know, the, the people that cut in line, and cut right, right, cut in front of everyone, right, the people that front. get that get so wasted at a show that they don't even care about the music, you know. So he has all these different characters. You know, the uh, dancers, un- yeah, and you know, like the unauthorized t shirt guy. You know, we've all seen those guys before outside, you know, the uh, the venue right next to the guy, right next to the scalpers. I think they're actually in cahoots. You know, a lot of the times that the guys that are scalping the tickets, their brothers are probably the you know, their close friends are probably the guys that are selling legal t shirts, you know, that wash off. So, so Steve has uh, written this book, so we brought him on the show. Uh, we're going to get to that interview in a little bit, but uh, first we got some live music news because, like we said, it has been an one busy, busy summer with a lot of news going on. So uh, we're going to kind of start from, uh, you know, the last last couple weeks uh, since it has been a little bit of time since we've had a, had a show. But um, the first one we want to talk about here is uh, The Who. So kind of an interesting thing that they're doing. So back in 1979, The Who was on tour, and they recently announced their new tour, 2013 tour coming up, Quadrafina. Um, but you, you turn the clock back to 1979. The, the, the Who was touring for uh, their, you know, their album, and of course, a year earlier, Keith Moon, the, the, the band's original drummer, had died. So they went on tour for, uh, I believe it was the, um, the Who Are You uh, to, uh, tour or the album, um, and on one of those stops, the Cincinnati tour. And this is kind of a, uh, a historic moment in live music, a tragic moment. Uh, fans rushed the stage. It was, gen- it was general admission, and 12 fans died and got crushed at that show in Cincinnati. And then the show after that in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, was, was canceled um, because the mayor and you know, the, the venue owner did not want the, the Who playing there, didn't want to have to deal with that again. So since that time, the Who has never played in Providence ever again wow until night until this quadrophena so th- tour 33 years ago yeah yeah 
So what's happening now is that uh, kind of interesting thing. So fans paid for that 1979 that canceled that canceled uh, show in Providence. So what the Who is doing is they're offering fans who have that ticket from that canceled show, it will be valid at this at the Providence road you know the Providence show for the 2013 Quadrifina tour. So if you're a fan that has that So what if they overbook? What do you mean? Well, I mean, there's no way they can know how many tickets are still out there. Plus, they have the new tickets they sold. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing, you know, because we kind of talked about this on, on, on the you know on the blog, and it really really intrigued me because there's a lot of different angles to this. It's actually you know? called where they're going to be playing. It's called Providence's Dunkin' Donuts Center. Right. It's changed. Obviously, all the, all the venues that the Who played in 1979. You know, they're all brands now. They're not, you know, the uh, Civic Arenas and things like that. They'll, they all have different names. Um, but they, they will be honoring that 1979 ticket. But they, they note here in the, in the news that be, be prepared because you will not get to keep your original ticket. Obviously, you will have to, you know, they, will, they will tear the stub off and you'll have a, you know, you have a piece of it. You won't have the original piece. So, so Lawrence Lepore of the arena's executive director is the one that put this together. Mm-hmm. He's the one that decided this. It wasn't like any big company that was selling tickets or the band or anything. Well, he, I'm sure he talked to the band first. Yeah. But um, he reports if you if you have a a 79 ticket, we will find a way for you to come in and see the show. We'll hmm. find a way. Wow. So whether whatever way that's gonna be, they're gonna find a way to make sure that those those ticket holders come in. Yeah, yeah, and we're you know we're we're on the hunt too because we want to have you guys uh, share your story. So if you're a fan, you're listening to this this show, or you've read the blog post on on, on livefixblog.com, we want you guys to tell us your story. You know, we want to hear about that 1979 show that you're you know that ticket that you have that you're going to redeem. So if you're out there, you got a story, and you're 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 going to go see the tour. You've waited 33 years to see the to see the Who. Also, actually, an interesting uh, tidbit on this is that um, Buddy Cancini, uh, he actually was the mayor during that time, and he called off the concert. The mayor actually, in 1979, called off the concert. Mm -hmm. The band didn't have anything to do with it. The arena director didn't have anything to do with it. It was the mayor that actually stated that. Correct. So... That's, That's crazy. I wonder if I there are know. any other mayors that have dictated um, who's going to play in their town. Well, uh, Daly in Chicago is notorious. You know, when Lollapalooza came back, that was the first time that, you know, aside from any kind of touring or anything coming to the city, I mean, they really had to grease the, you know, grease the skids to allow Lollapalooza to come back and even play because after the, you know, the 1968 uh, uh, riots, you know, the... Um, the MC5 and, you know, the Democratic National Convention, you know, they didn't want to have any of that there again because live music was associated with rioting. So I know Daly in Chicago, you know, the the, uh, the senior Daly, not the one that just uh, took over, you know, that Rahm Emanuel took over for. But uh, I don't know about other cities. I'm not, not, too, not too sure, you know. But um, you're kind of a kind of interesting point. So if you guys have uh, have your stories, you know, we'll, we'd love to hear what you uh, – know what you're going to do with that ticket you know kind of kind of an interesting thing so 
we'll keep you guys updated. We'll be on the hunt to find out uh, if anybody else has that ticket and what you're gonna if you're gonna be redeeming that. So our next news item here is uh, from Pitchfork Music Festival. So you know this year has been kind of a different year for us. You know we really haven't you know. Um, been to you know as many shows as we wanted to but we did make our we did make it out to pitchfork music festival this year and again this is the first time that we we just kind of went not as the press you know uh you weren't taking pictures and you know i wasn't there to do a specific review we we're just kind of there to chill out you know and kind of take it in as as fans you know just full fans and we studied uh and came across or uh, stumbled stumbled upon the e-music Electro musical visualizer. So, kind of an interesting thing. And basically, what this does, what this thing does, is uh, it's a little bit of pseudoscience, right? I mean, we've kind of, you and I have talked about this before. But basically, what it does is that you went into this booth, you put your hand on sense on these sensors, and they piped in dip, uh, four different bands. So it was the Lower Dens, Beach House. Uh, I think we have to say alleged sensors, right? Alleged. Yeah, legit. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much I believe the this whole piece, and I'd like to hear. So you're a skeptic about this? A little bit, and I love to interview the people that designed this booth. Yeah, we'll talk. And I'm sure we'll it's been at other concerts, not just this concert or this festival. Mm -hmm. It's been at more festivals, but I'd love to to hear how they put this together and really where the science behind it is. Yeah, you know, because there's a couple interesting things here. You know, I did have a chance to talk to some folks that were out there that were uh, representing it, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna bring them on the show for a, a later a later episode and and really dive a little bit deeper into this. But uh, I did have some initial thoughts on this because you know, with live fix, we're always about getting into you know the, the emotional side, the mood, you know, what live music actually does to us on the inside, and finding ways to visually represent that to see. You know, if there's something that we can do that will take the internal story of what's going on inside of us and, and be able to understand that through visual representations. And all pseudoscience, you know, pseudoscience considered, I think the electromusical mood experiment that eMusic is doing, uh, I think it's putting us closer to that. I think it's giving us a chance to really go, oh, you know, well, I can go in a booth, listen to four different bands. And, you know, the, the, you put your hand on the sensors and it, it, what it did, it, it felt the, uh, the heat, you know, and the different electric nodes because your body gives off little sensors and things like that. I mean, we all have little energies around us. You know, we can always see it. But, um, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, it's like the force, you know, you kind of do that. So this machine was reading that and it was flashing, you know, uh, kind of like a light bulb strobe thing. And you walked out and it kind of showed you in a, you know, like a quadrant uh, diagram uh, different colors of, of aura, and those colors were associated with different moods. And you have it posted up on the Life Fix blog, yep. so if people want to look at it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And we love to have comments and other people posting their pictures. Yeah, well, I'd like to know what you guys think done. about this, because the one thing, you know, when I, when I went down there and I asked them about this, I was really intrigued by it, and I said, you know, why aren't you guys piping in the live music from the actual festival into the booth, you know? Why are we only doing an experiment on recorded studio, you know, recorded, uh, you know, studio music? Because that seems to be, you know, a huge missed opportunity. So maybe that's something that eMusic can do down the road and actually use live music that we're actually hearing and say, you know, 
this is how this live music is piping in because I would have loved, instead of listening to a studio snippet off a you know, studio track from Beach House, I would have loved to have the actual live music piped in and then show me my aura from the live music experience because I think, you know, like my Beach House was kind of, uh, you know, it was close, magical. You kind of feel magical when you're listening to, you know, the Beach House. But this doesn't, it doesn't take into consideration the people around you, you know, your senses, what you're seeing, what you're smelling, all these different things. And all those things play a huge role in how you feel during the concert and what you actually take away from the show. And I think instead of just studio music, they should be able to, they should find a way to pipe in the actual live music from it would be nice one day to kind of see more science and, and psychology played, you know, I guess dissected at live music mm-hmm. events. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know it happens. I know there's a lot of psychology that happens. There's a lot of science that happens with music. Yeah, we're only we're only touching, you know, the the we're only the tip of the iceberg, you know, with this stuff. But again, for all this for all the pseudoscience that this is going at it, you know, it's kind of Kind of, you know, you know, I don't know. So it's a little bit, a little bit of hokey, but you know, that th- there is some truth to this, and I like, the, I like where they're going. We just need to get, get a little bit closer to actually having, you know, if it's professional people, psychologists there, you know, people actually, real neuroscientists or you know, body scientists that that can take the physical physiological effects of the music people are listening to and the, and what's going on. And really do some real experiments, you know, with with this kind of stuff. So we're gonna have these guys on the eMusic crew and uh, talk, dive a little bit into this. But if you did, if you did hear this, uh, you know, or experience this at Pitchfork Music Festival, we'd love to hear what you guys think about it, you know, and let us, uh, you know, let us know. Um, so, so you like you you like that car? You you didn't go into the booth. How come you didn't go into the booth? I don't know. I just you know, I I wasn't I wasn't feeling it. Let's just put no. it that way. You don't want to. Know, you don't want to know your electro mood. I was not. I was not feeling it. Do you like Beach House though? Don't you? I do like Beach House, but yeah. um, it wasn't my my cup of tea. Maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can we can team up with eMusic and do a uh, you know do a little um, experiment, experiment with them, right? Sure. So, all right. So we're moving on here. So we're moving into uh, Lollapalooza land. So Lollapalooza, you know. Uh, was uh, you know, had some had some first you know for this year a couple a couple stories. Um, of course, everybody had a great time this year, but Lollapalooza had a had a chance to test their evacuation test you know their evacuation plan. So uh, for the first time in the history of the festival, uh, a, a thunderstorm rolled through, and of course with all the tragedies that are happening with you know the uh, you know, stage collapsing. stage collapsing. You know, bad storms. I mean, we've reported a lot about this, you know, over the last year or so. Some pretty tragic things. So, kudos to Lollapalooza to be able to, you know, get out ahead of of this. Get, to, you know, two hundred thousand people, or not? Well, I guess not the whole thing, but you know, the uh, a whole bunch of people out of Lollapalooza, out onto the streets, uh, away, you know, from harm if something should should tip over. So they had this, they had the festival uh, held off for a little bit. And, um, you know, it was during the Olympics, so people were shouting, you know, go USA. And some interesting things, too, is that uh, we talked about the gate crashers from last year. So this year they had these big, you know, uh, tall black fences to keep gate crashers 
uh, out. So people, when they were evacuating, they were actually trying to scale them to, to get out of the festival. So kind of an interesting thing. It was that, you know, it was kind of keeping people um, from getting out uh, instead of keeping them from getting in. So I think it also was a good marketing What's that? Uh, ploy a little bit. Well, I mean, not that they did that on purpose, but the, the evacuation, the storm. I mean, I had all kinds of people ask me, were you there? Mm-hmm. It was all over the news. I mean, that's huge for, that's marketing. Lollapalooza. Marketing. Absolutely. And it was what all what kind of marketing place. would that, it would seemed, that be? It seemed to be on, you know, it appeared on more news um, stations and um, more websites than I saw last year hmm. because of the evacuation. Hmm. That's just my personal opinion. So I think it's some market. There was some marketing going on there. Yeah. There's some awareness of what Lollapalooza is. Well, I'd be really pissed is. if I was some of the bands. I mean, one of my favorite bands uh, of late. You know, we didn't get a chance to go to Lollapalooza this year, so we were kind of, kind of watching it from afar. You know, watching the Twitter streams and you know some of the live, uh, the live feeds on uh, on YouTube. Um, but uh, Alabama Shakes, one of my favorite bands of late, uh, did not get to play. They got their set canceled. Some local bands got canceled, and uh, some of the sets got got moved up. So if you're a fan, you know, and you threw down 250 bucks for uh, for a pass, you know, for three days, uh, and you know, and you were set on seeing a couple bands, well. You know, you didn't, uh, you didn't get to, you know, maybe you didn't get to see your favorite bands, but, um, the cleanup know. was, um, there was a lot, the cleanup bill was $150,000 this year. Oh, really? And some of it, I think they thought was due to the storm. Was that as much as last year? Um, they're saying it's a, a little bit less than last year, actually. Oh, well, good. So maybe they saved some money, maybe because they, they evacuated. Well, their, mar- their margin was probably a lot bigger this year. So that's good. Good, Possibly. good, good, good. So... There are some bad things that happen in Lollapalooza, though. You know, and this next story it really troubles me, but I, I still, I still want to talk about it because we cover fan stories here on Live Fix, and you know, we cover bad fan stories, we cover good fan stories, and this is one of those bad fan stories. So, I saw this come through my uh, my Twitter feed, and you know, I clicked on it because I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, I, I could not believe something like this would happen. You know, and I'm wondering, you know, are there drugs involved? Is there drinking involved? Is it just somebody just being an idiot, you know, so what had happened is that uh, an 11-year-old girl got punched in the stomach <laughs> for her Lollapalooza branded beach ball. Some 19-year-old guy, his name happens to be, uh, what is it here? Uh, Should we announce his name on air? Yeah, let's announce his name, absolutely. Conrad Slimak, 19 years old, he approached, let's see, what is her name? Uh, poor little so you girl. approached an eleven-year-old girl. Yeah, and punched her. And punched her in 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 the stomach. Yeah, here's how here's how it went down. So it was uh, Michelle Fior, eleven-year-old, poor little girl. You know, this could have been her very first concert she'd ever been to. I don't know. She's eleven years old. It's likely that it was her very first concert. You know, so unfortunate that she's going to have this this tragic uh, you know assault situation associated with live music you know hopefully she had a good you know a good good enough time to kind of you know override this but basically the guy approached her and uh said give me your you know give me your uh, your beach ball and she said okay you know hand over fifty dollars so then he proceeded to um uh to punch her in the stomach and her mom was standing there so it all happened really quickly apparently and you know, and he uh, he fled, and then you know they um, they went back and forth, and and then it's uh, you know there was a little argument, and you know 
the guy was at, you know, Kyle was eventually, uh, is that his name? What is his name? I actually, uh, Conrad, they were, you know, he was eventually, uh, you know, taken to, uh, uh, taken into custody and, uh, you know, he was charged with uh, misdemeanor battery and assault. So this just sucks, man. I don't know what makes people do that, but he was, he was, uh, cited with being intoxicated while being, you know, while underage. So there wasn't drinking involved. And by looking at what had transpired during it, you know, he, uh, he wasn't kind of, um, uh, he wasn't all there, you know, cause when she asked him for $50, he said, I'm a college student. What do I look like? I have money. Well, he had just forked over $250 to be a Lollapalooza. So there were actually two men. I want to update that. There a were, there yes. were actually two men. Yeah. But only one, one, got, one guy prompted her, and the other one punched her. Oh, okay. So one kind of said, yeah. "Hey, I want your, the ball," and then the other one is the one that actually did the physical harm on her. Oh, okay. And she was with her mom. They were actually walking along East Jackson Boulevard. Yeah, so there were two guys. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Terrible, terrible. You know, maybe we can. Uh, you know, we'll again, like we always do. We like to. You know, follow up with some stories, and we we can have Michelle on the show, have her talk about that. Uh, you know, have her and her mom on the show, and and it doesn't really talk about what she actually experienced after that or before that. So I'd really like to know how this experience impacted the rest of her Lollapalooza show. You know, and and just what happened, and you just hope that that um, doesn't create future trauma um, when she goes yeah, to what shows. A, what about trauma? Tell me, tell me about trauma. How would something like this? I mean, you're 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 an expert in kind of you know having these uh, you know helping people work through some of these issues with with trauma. So, how would something like this impact someone well, down the road? I, I would say it's possible. Okay, now this is only one incident, so it's not a compounded. You know, every time she goes to shows, she wasn't being punched. Maybe she's been to other shows prior to this. Mm-hmm. But I would say that um, it's very possible she's going to be kind of hypervigilant or nervous when she's around. Hypervigilant? No, she, she what, what kind does that of mean? is always jumpy. All right, she's jumpy. She's always ready on the defense for something like mm. this to happen again. And so it's possible next time she's in crowds, around crowds, or she's at a show that she may feel uneasy, anxious. Um, you know, irritable, I mean, all those things, but, you know, hopefully she's getting help if needed. First, medically, obviously, it sounds like she's had medical help, and then also if she needs to process it with someone, hopefully she, you know, is able to find a supportive person or counselor, whatever she needs. I mean, this is pretty, could be pretty traumatic for, you know, 11-year-old. I mean, to be punched like that um, out of the blue, you know, it's not like, you know, she knew these people, yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. You know what uh, what happens with that. Maybe we can get Michelle on the phone and uh, and see see what's going on. You know, and have her have her kind of explain. Tell her tell her story a little little bit more. You know, and you you'd like to hope you you'd like to hope that uh, you know the music helped her work through that. You know that she did get a chance to see her favorite band after the sh- you know after this incident, and uh, kind of forget that a little bit or you know have a have it cope with it. So. Our next, uh, our next news item uh, before we uh, jump in our interview with uh, with Steve is uh, concerning Jack White. So we've talked before about social media and how it's changing the concert experience, and how some artists don't like 
people using, you know, some artists see live music as a holy event that should not be, uh, you know, um, uh, obstructed by social media, by people staring at their phones and tweeting and Facebooking and all these types of things. So um, Jack White is one of those one of those artists. Uh, apparently, uh, according to um, the uh, San Franciscoist uh, site here, I came across a story that they had written about Jack White being really uh, adamant and actually posting signs that saying, um, uh, stating that the use of Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, and any and the like are strictly prohibited during his performance. So. Kind of interesting. I don't know. Have you ever seen anything like this before where there's an actual, an artist going to that great length to, you know, to encourage and almost demand that fans don't, well, we were don't at do a, that? Yes, we were at a show and I'm trying to think what um, show we were at. It was a hip hop show and um, they told everyone, take your pictures now and put the camera away. Put your cameras away. Hmm. And it was just kind of like a demanding thing, and it was sort of like, okay, you have your first two songs or first song to take everyone take their pictures now, and I'm gonna expect everyone to put their camera away. It was the artist said that. Hmm. So I mean, I think it it's, it happens a lot. Um, oh, that was that because of engage for the, he wanted them to be engaged in the show, or because I think it was engagement, respect. I mean, I think there's a lot of artists that don't like flashing. Mm-hmm. They don't like things in their face. You know, they don't like constantly being on film. Some some artists are very um, conscious of what they, you know, they, they feel they feel bad and feel weird about maybe how they look or are uncomfortable with cameras constantly in their face. I mean, there's so many um, uh, photo people who I've photographed throughout the years that um, maybe older artists that are celebrities who... Who do not allow photographers in the pit, or don't let photographers, you know, close enough to them to get a really close shot of them, right. because they're afraid of how they look. So I don't know. Maybe is see this, this is crazy. I mean, Jack Jack White is out of his mind. He's one of my favorite artists. I'm a huge fan of the White Stripes. A huge fan of him. What he's what he's done for music. But I I think he's 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 missing out. You know, and it kind of surprises me. Someone from, you know, I consider him part of, you know, my generation, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think, uh, you know, he's, he, he's missing the point here. And I, like a lot of artists that restrict fans from, from tweeting and doing all those kinds of things. Because now more than ever, because of the mobile, you know, the evolution of mobile, how that's impacting live music. Never before in the history of music do you have fans... Uh, being so engaged, and to me, if I was an artist on stage, I would approach this with an open, more open mind, and say, you know, if people are tweeting and if people are doing these things, majority of fans, and I've kind of asked fans about this too. So this is not just me making this up. You know, I've kind of asked fans and looked at it from my own perspective. And if you're tweeting and doing all these things during a show, it means that you are engaged. You know, it, and, and that's just from the one fan perspective. So if you, if Jack White is going to stop people from doing that. He's actually cutting himself off from like a viral promotion of his tour, from his music, from other fans sharing a positive experience at his show right there in real time. Like you're missing out on a lot of really rich, you know, emotional sharing from from your fans. Like why would you do that, you know? I mean, 
it just seems well, it's and, crazy. And do some of the artists struggle with relating to fans? Because they maybe some of them have not been fans, um, you know, to artists, or maybe they just. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think after a while they get, you know, it's like kind of the teacher who's been teaching for forty years. Do they really know what the experience is like for the student? You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah. he 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 doesn't understand that in this age, you know, and or, or maybe he just wants to. He feels like he's pushing the boundaries. I don't, I don't know his reasoning, but you know, maybe he he's seems like the it, it's talk a, about it lives at some point. It's a complete uh, you know complete misstep on his on his part, you know, and 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 uh, fan if uh, artists have to have a way to find uh, to, to find a way to integrate. The mobile experience, tweeting, the social experience of what fans do at shows now into their live show. Like they have to find a way to integrate that. They can't fight that anymore. It's ridiculous to fight it. It's stupid. I think it's a it's a complete waste. And you can't you can't do that. Like why would you do that? I mean, one of the ways that I engage with a show is that I tweet about it while I'm right there. You know, because that's my way of expressing myself. And that's really not just for the benefit of me, but then the you know the the uh, the band benefits from that. You know, it's like fan promotion. It's word of mouth marketing. You know, it's viral. So, um, artists in their best case, you know, in in their um, you know to their benefit, they got to find a way to integrate this thing. So, which uh, brings us to the end of the news, and we're going to jump into our interview with Steve Weinberger. And I actually asked him about this because we kind of talked about you know. Are there any more characters? Because he wrote his book about three years ago, and he's kind of evolved it. He's got some videos that he's created with it. And I kind of asked him, you know, are there any new characters creating? You know, because he doesn't have necessarily any mobile phone. Um, he has some cell phone stuff going on, but uh, we kind of talked about that and a lot of other things. A lot of really, really cool topics, you know, just about um, his first shows, uh, you know, what, um, what it's like to be a parent. You know, at a, at, a, at a show, you know, and, and, and be a parent who loves live music and what are you going to do with your kids? You know, how are you going to, you know, teach them? So he, uh, he shared some interesting stories about uh, he has two daughters and uh, we kind of talked a little bit about that. So here's an interview with Steve Weinberger. And when we come back, uh, we'll share a little bit more of what's, uh, what's coming up on our next episodes. Steve, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. It's a pleasure to finally have you on the show. I know we've uh, we've had you uh, as a guest on Life Fix as an inter- interview before uh, in the non-audio version, but uh, thanks for joining us here on the show finally. Sure, Chris. Glad to be here. Tell us about uh, No uh, Air Guitar Loud and uh, how it how it came about. No Air Guitar Loud came about probably like 2005, 2006. I mean, I've been kind of... Um, been a concert goer for years and years and years, and I think it was a Rolling Stones show with my wife that where we were just people watching uh, around the crowd, and um, I said, "No, honey, I need to write a book about these people." Why isn't there a book about all the characters that we see at concerts? This is just incredible. This is unbelievable. This is the greatest, you know, the greatest thing ever. The best entertainment there is. So, 
would be when I saw five guys at a House of Blues, Ted Nugent show, probably about 55, 60 years old, playing the worst air guitar I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I said, that has got to be the name of the book. Because I think everything, I think everything we do as fans, um, you know, badly leads to that. So, so all these concert characters that we kind of maybe become or maybe we're one all the time kind of leads to that. And that's kind of how I came up with the name for the book, No Air Guitar Loud. different uh, characters in there and uh, you, you, you mentioned earlier a little bit there that uh, there's a little bit of you in each of the characters which which of the characters do you identify with the most you know and see yourself in there at the, the most oh god um, I, think I, I think I've been each one of them at different points in my life so um, now you know it's funny I feel like the, I feel like I can't do anything at a show because I'm you know I've become of a mirror of myself. I try to be such a, you know, just sit there and not really, like for instance, um, what was that, a Wilco show, this guy next to me was singing, you know, and I like Wilco a lot, and uh, this guy, another Chicago band too, right, of course, and, um, and uh, this guy was singing every word to every Wilco song, and it was making me insane, it was actually ruining the concert experience for me. So I said to myself, I will never, ever, ever do that again at a show. I'll never sing out loud, uh, even if I do know every word, unless the singer requests for us to do that. <laughs> so so I, I've become so, um, and it almost ruins the experience for me, you know? It's kind of like being a movie critic and going to a movie and you can't enjoy it. sounds like you're pretty self-conscious about uh, just about the experience and just, you know, you're you've kind of uh you know taken away well, some some of your 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 own enjoyment for the sake of uh for the sake of others would you say um maybe maybe a little <laughs> bit i mean not, not too much i mean you know i don't want to i'm not going overboard as far as like uh, you know i mean it's what was it like you know like i won't request a song you know i'll never do that you know people around you might request i mean these are just some of the characters and then some of the uh, scenarios come into play but you know like um the unauthorized t-shirt guy for instance the guy who's selling t-shirts in the parking lot i mean i I will buy a t-shirt just because i love like having a misspelled name of a band or you know or for something you know um like the play that one song guy, the guy that's again that's requesting songs. I mean, the band made a, made the set list for a reason. So I try not to scream out a certain song, but there's always people around me that are doing it. Um, the other lead singer we already talked about, the person that sings you know every word, every song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I don't know. I I, I wouldn't say it um, it makes me self conscious. I just. Uh, I just have a good time, but I'm a little quieter than I used to be. <laughs> now, have you 
uh, in, in your in your studies. I mean, this this, this book is really it's a, it's a very interesting you know sociological exploration you know and uh, and, and and study. Now um, you know you you, re- you wrote it a few years ago and you know we're we're in this very interesting period of, of live music. Lots going on. You got mobile. You got you know people. Um, you know there's different uh, you know drugs that are being in- introduced. Uh, different types of music. You know electronic music is kind of coming back. Have you noticed any kind of uh, new species of concert fans uh, evolving, or any ones that you wrote about that have uh, kind of mutated at all, or, or you know uh, hybrids? Yeah, you know what's funny is, is uh, I mean every. I, you probably see this too. Everybody holds up their phone now and tapes the show, or or videotapes the show, or you know puts it on YouTube, or whatever. I think, and um, I, I always wonder about that. I mean, I think that's the most universal thing that's going on now. Is kind of everybody's a bootlegger. You know, like uh, remember how it used to be a big deal, and somebody would sneak in a tape recorder or something and, and tape a live show. But I think um, that is the most universal. I didn't do it. I don't know. I just, I just got 
getting got caught up in the. Um, there's something just about that feeling of being at a live show and just you know it's kind of like you and the band. I don't know. Maybe it feels like um, there's something that maybe it takes away something for me to throw up my phone and, and tape the song or watch it through the screen. It just I don't know. Maybe psychologically it uh, creates a different experience for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, uh, speaking of speaking of videos, so you had your uh, you have the book, and the book has uh, has evolved. So you've you've uh, created some uh, new videos recently and uh, posted them on uh, funnierdie dot uh, com, right? Yeah, funnierdie. Yeah. Uh, yeah tell, uh, can you tell us a little bit a little bit about these videos and how how they've evolved uh, from the from the book? Yeah, well, the book um, is funny. I. Uh, Itself, you know, I always had this this idea of wow, these characters would be great in a screenplay, um, and hopefully, I can, you know, being being um, getting my book out there, hiring a publicist as a self publisher, trying to get you know people to notice me. I did uh, an event called Comic Con in 2009, and I um, had some got quite a bit of interest there, and uh, um, met a filmmaker director there who used to be a Spielberg uh, assistant named Mark Fusco, who who, um, of course, he has a movie coming out called Michael Raphael on September 21st here uh, nationwide. And um, he and I got together with Sarah Tribio, who also was a contributor in the book, and wrote a screenplay based on the book. He found me over at Comic-Con selling it. And um, so we finished the screenplay, and I was shopping the screenplay, and I thought it would be a good idea to, uh, you know, maybe do some webisode-type work um, and, and and bring some of the, these characters to life, do some SNL-type one-minute, two-minute-type skit. Um, really, like, really, like, basement, green-screen-type, cheaply-made skit. <laughs> that was just, would be part of the character, you know? Um, so we did that. We tried to create, we, we did one called The Tall Guy, of course, who's the guy that... You can never kind of get away from in the pit, and then um, and we'll you know kind of ruin the concert for you. You might be planted there an hour early, and then boom, some guy six five, six six walks in, and then you're done. <laughs> so we did a little skit about that guy, and uh, then we went on to the to the of course the wasted guy who can't go without drinking five minutes at a show and kind of passes out usually before the headliner. <laughs> we did that as our second skit, and then the third one was the most ludicrous was the. Um, Diapers rock where these two guys thought it would be a good idea to wear diapers um, at a heavy metal show so they wouldn't have to go during the show and lose their spot. Interesting. So that, was, oh. that, was, that, was, that was our third video, thinking that might be um, a good idea for maybe some, you know. Some, oh, some no, man. I couldn't imagine. I mean, if you get the diaper guy and the tall guy together, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Know? I mean, geez. Yeah, that'd be rough. I mean, so, so we thought, you know, what a great idea these guys <laughs> wear some diapers to the show and not have to move. And, um, obviously, it, it, uh, it doesn't turn out well, but... Um, so yeah, so we tried like maybe um, exploring some webisodes and see what happens with that, and, and, and um, you know see what happens. We'll throw them on Funnier Guy and see, see what kind of response we get. So, it's been a lot of fun making them. It's 
the other thing that um, I think that you, you had posted somewhere about this, or, or I don't know if you and I had talked before about it, but uh, uh, the question of uh, at what point do you bring your kids to uh, to shows? And I think that was kind of an interesting. You know, we've done some uh, experiments on live fix about that and kind of asked, throwing the question out there. Um, and you were you you seem interested in uh, you know in that, and um, you know you have uh, kids of your own, and you know uh, what are your what what are your thoughts on that? At, at what point do you you know bring your kids to, to shows and how have you how have you, you know, yeah like we, that? we uh we've done that for we, you know we have a two and a half and six and a half year old so we've we've taken them to quite a bit of shows um the the question is you know it just really depends on who's playing and all that i mean we've taken them some quite a bit of the fair county fair type shows but um you know my daughter my daughter is six and a half and she's been a, she's seen some great bands already but she doesn't realize it but <laughs> But the thing is, though, the thing is, though, she really does get into uh, good music now. I mean, she she's interested in the Beatles and finding out more about, you know, certain bands. It's it's really interesting because we, as we, as most of us know, a lot of the best music isn't on the radio. So it, it takes, it, you know, it takes a lot of education sometimes and a lot of time to, because there's so much music out there to to actually get out and do the effort and find good music if, if, if no one's say like teaching you about it and um, you know it's I, I you know I find myself trying to teach my daughters again six and a half about fans that you know Elvis and you know Chuck Berry and, hmm. and Jimi Hendrix and Beatles and all these phenomenal bands and what you know I, we watch uh, Ed Sullivan show and I try to actually really educate her about good music and why it's good music and um, and so when we take them to shows or take them to live shows she, she'll, she'll ask questions about you know the band and you know what kind of music this is and why why are the people acting this way and like <laughs> why would this why is this good music or uh, you know it's it's really I mean uh, she, for instance she knows all the words to every song on the Noel Gallagher solo CD I mean uh. it's, it's like the most random thing ever but she knows all the songs so I mean um, you know from Oasis so we try really hard to to uh, actually expose them to good music um, you know I, I, of course it's subjective but uh, I don't know there's ways to do that as far as like taking them to shows I mean you just gotta be really careful I mean obviously we use Use earplugs, and um, we took her to Neil Diamond, you know, just oh, there you as, go. A, yeah. as a goof, as a goof. But then we, she's also seen Blue Oyster Cult, so hmm. you know, we we kind of kind of like to the opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, now, is there any point? Think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, was is there any point where you got where you've sat her down and taken her through your uh, your book and said, hey, you know, there there'll be a time when you go to a show by yourself, look out for this <laughs> character, look out for this. Uh, you know, have you taken her through the book, and you know, does uh, is that kind of uh, wisdom oh, being, being, being transferred, or? Yeah, absolutely. I want her friends. You know, I want her to tell her friends at school so the parents buy it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little like, I mean, I won't. I don't really teach her about the wasted guy and the, uh, you know, the chicks screaming in the limos and stuff. <laughs> oh no, wait. Actually, I have. I did teach her a little bit about that. You know, not to do that. But the Margarita Lou crew, of course. Um, but yeah, no, we we actually go through the books because the books, you know, the, the characters are all illustrated, so that the kids do get a kick. 
kick out of it. That, uh, it's funny. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I have to, you know, make the, sh- the stories about each character pretty G-rated uh, <laughs> because some of them get, you know, a little bit out there. But uh, yeah, I mean, she she like she enjoys it, so so we have fun with it. Have they ever asked, uh, you know, uh, you know, Daddy, w- which one of these have you been at, at some of your favorite shows? Yeah, well, well, some of the characters, like we, some of the characters, I think in the book, we kind of look like me. So maybe the ones <laughs> that kind of the illustrator just I don't know how to keep kind of doing that. But um, yeah, like. <laughs> She knows that we buy like the fake T-shirts because they might be less money or whatever, or uh, something like that. Or um, she knows we'll have a beer or two at a show. She's seen like you know the beer woo crew and the wasted guy and the uh, um, uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde again, and all these other characters we kind of made fun of in the book. <laughs> busy summer for you uh, a lot of shows i know you've been to uh, uh some some good shows um what, what have been some of your favorite shows uh, so far this uh, this summer let's see let's see we saw uh, we saw the van halen tour that was pretty good i was i was i thought they were great yeah i think it's eddie's first show he's done like our first tour he's ever done sober wow. they're saying it's been 35 years that was a good show i, I really like that show i like seeing david Lee roth and Kiss came on and just uh, the way the crowd erupted. I mean, you know, 
like that, especially a band like Kiss too. I mean, when you're seeing this show like that for your first time, it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, when you're 11 years old and uh, I was addicted right off the bat. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, there's there's you know going through high school and stuff. I saw a lot of shows, but there was no place I felt more at home than being at a live concert. So. Hmm. interesting uh you know you uh you you mentioned that too is a lot of uh so many different things that go on to the show you know some people are uh you know escaping from themselves some people are you know like find themselves or you know are surprised by by what they uh what they experience uh have you ever had a you know a moment like that at a, at a show where maybe you just were so surprised or you know that the, the music triggered something in in your mind or you know or memory or you know a certain feeling or anything like that I think the first time I saw Springsteen, I think I had these like emotions. I don't know. It was um, it was emotions about the show, and then just emotions about about you know. I don't. It's 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 crazy because it sneaks up on you. You know, you can listen to a song a hundred times on a radio, and you and you'll have an emotion. But then you know when you see it live or you hear it live, and you actually see the person singing it. Um, Because I've heard it so many times. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. We were so we were out kind of in the parking lot seeing traffic during that song because I knew it was the last song they were set. So um, maybe uh, maybe I'm kind of a concert snob that way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's kind of interesting, you know. You you've seen over, uh, I think you mentioned it in some other interviews, over over a thousand shows, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's uh, you, you got to get to a certain point. Even even myself, you know, writing about music and kind of uh, you know not writing about it for a while, but just uh, seeing live music through through other people's eyes for a bit. I mean, it really does. And you go to a show like we went to, you know, we went to Pitchfork over this last uh, last couple weeks uh, this summer, and that was the first time we went to Pitchfork as as fans you know we weren't taking pictures we weren't uh you know writing about it we were just kind of experiencing it it's a completely different experience you know with uh with that experience you know with that uh that perspective you know and it can really kind of get you to look at it look at it differently you know it's kind of yeah, interesting. I mean, and, and that festival um like we were talking about before but brings on new bands and brings on so i mean there's something so great about discovering a new band, something that you feel like you own, you know, like in a good way. Like when I discovered uh, or found out, I shouldn't say discovered, about Kings of Leon like way back in the early, I think it was early 2000, maybe 2001, somewhere around there, maybe even a little bit later. I mean, when I saw them for the first time at this tiny club, and I couldn't believe how amazing this band was. Um, and then I, you know, I went up the ladder with them, you know, where I, you know, this is only in America because I know they were huge overseas, um, much quicker than they were here, but that feeling of seeing them with 200 people and then, you know, or maybe 50 the first time, then 200, then 400, then 1,000, then 2,000, then all of a sudden, you know, they're playing in front of 12,000, 14,000, you just you feel like you're kind of on this ride with this new band, hmm. and it's, you know, you feel like... Um, and that's why I think a lot of people like what's like a band like Green Day, where they people have maybe been on the same ride with them, and then all of a sudden they become this commercial success and huge, and then they're winning Grammys. The people get a little disconnected or a little annoyed because they feel like they sold out. Right. And that's like uh, you know that's such a topic on its own. You know, and I remember back in the '80s, the big thing was like. Mellencamp not selling his music to, you know, to uh, Ford or somebody like that, or Springsteen never selling his music to a, to an ad or a TV commercial or something. And then nowadays, it's so different. I mean, you hear the Who all over commercials, and you'll hear, you know, the Beatles, because Michael Jackson bought the rights to all of their music, so he, he's his company or whatever who owns his is right so all the Beatles songs you know you start hearing their stuff all over the commercials because these guys have no avenues you know they're not getting on the radio anymore so yeah. I don't know it's kind of flip flopped a little bit where uh, the whole industry has changed that, in that way yeah, it's all, uh, you know, it's amazing. I mean, it's all come back to the live show. You know, I mean, that's really you know, separating yeah. bands. I mean, they can't, uh, you know, it's it's turned around the other way. You know, now you you tour to promote a record, you know, you know it's not the other way around. You know, it's different. Right, right, uh, right, yeah. Like, it's different. In the 70s, you know? people would tour to break They'd make money on their albums and tour to break even, you know. It's been fantastic, uh, Steve, having you, having you on the show. I Welcome back. It was a great interview. It was. Uh, 
always a pleasure to chat with Steve, and hopefully we can have him back on the show because, uh, as you could tell, we could have talked to him for a long, long time. He's, we got a lot of uh, a lot of interesting characters to uh, to talk about. And so. it sounds like there may be a updated book or a new book. Yeah, this and there's actually a screenplay ideas. coming out, so oh. we're gonna keep uh, keep our eye on on Steve and and on uh, No Air Guitar Allowed and on the book and see how it works out because uh, he's been telling me some. Some interesting developments on a possible screenplay and movie uh, movie production of his uh, of his book um, from uh, some uh, some news coming out of Hollywood. So we're definitely going to keep our uh, keep our eyes uh, on on Steve and uh, and the book. So great great show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, next show coming up, uh, we're going to dive into some of our favorite uh, concert movies. Uh, one of which we recently watched. Um, uh, very kind of interesting, unsettling, you know, at certain times. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, God bless Ozzy Osbourne. So we're going to talk about that movie and uh, some thoughts on Kenny Chesney. So I have recently been looking at, uh, read an interesting article about Kenny Chesney and have not been a fan, but I uh, read some things in that article that have uh, made me want to know when he's touring next, possibly check out his show. So we're going to check that out next, uh, next show. Um, that just about wraps it up. Again, Give us a buzz on our uh, concert fan hotline, and we want to hear. You know, if you've been a Lollapalooza, if you've seen Jack White at the show, and you've tweeted in, you know, just in, uh, you know, in protest to his stuff, you know, his uh, anti-Facebook uh, signs. We want to hear your stories. So give us a call. Our concert fan hotline seven seven three six zero nine four three four one. Again, all the show notes, everything we've talked about, is on the blog, on the podcast notes. You can find that at livefixblog.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you guys later.